All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, part of the Perry Veritas Network, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down-to-earth way possible. Episode 33. Here we are. Episode 33. I, I have, uh, in the past, talked about the number 33 and its significance to me and, and um, kind of how I sort of encounter it on a daily basis. I've talked about it in the past. I don't actually remember what episode I've talked about it on, but to reiterate in a sort of a quicker way, the number of 33 was my grandfather's uh, lucky number. That was like his favorite number. And he was of the age where people sort of, where people sort of did such a thing as, you know, have a lucky number. (laughs) It wasn't like, I'm not like, it's not like one of those things that you expect people to have anymore. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't have a lucky number. I don't know anyone like in my generation who has a lucky number, which isn't to say that there aren't people out there who, you know, have, don't have lucky numbers. Like I think probably a lot of gamblers, et cetera, have, you know, have lucky numbers, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a lucky number. I, I don't have any friends who have any like and, and if they did like that you know it certainly aren't like putting another license plates you know what i mean but, like my grandfather was of the generation this kind of dude who like had a lucky number put it on, a, on his license plate it just like you know sort of followed him it was the number of his uh jersey when he played you know football in high school and in college and stuff so yeah it was a big number and, and after he died I, I sort of began to see it everywhere you know like like i i'd be going around and just like the number 33 is just popping up all the time license plates it's amazing how often the number 33 occurs on license plates um you know phone numbers uh you look up at the clock and it's 33 you know that that sort of thing and whenever i see it i always think of my grandfather you know i i just you know, I just kind of do. And so it's sort of like a, I call them poppy. So it's sort of like a, what's up, what's up poppy kind of, kind of moment and stuff. So, so here we are in episode 33. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, something about this episode is significant, you know, uh, you know, something about what, you know, maybe, maybe this is the episode that Obama listens to. Um, let's crack myself up. I don't know why I thought that was funny just then, but anyway, so yeah, episode 33, here we are. I think mostly it's just kind of cool. You know, I I do encounter that number all the time, but it it is kind of cool to be like on episode 33. Like, you know, I didn't just do 10 and quit. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm still going at episode 33 and, and I don't have any reason to stop anytime soon. I, I may not be holding myself to the one a week every Sunday business that I kind of had committed myself to before, which isn't to say that it's it's not still like a goal in my mind to kind of do that and get that done. But I'm also not going to like kick my own ass emotionally if I don't manage to do it every week. If I can get on a run and get it done, then then great. You know, if there's a single moment where I'm sort of like not feeling just like inspired to record, like I don't, I don't see why I need to turn this into a chore. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I don't see why I would need to, I would need to do that. So, so yeah, 
Uh, anyway, episode 33. Here we are, folks. Um, there's a lot to talk about. I, I mean, it's been a, actually a minute since I've actually sit down and recorded, but it there, because the last episode that I put out, like I actually recorded like a couple of weeks before we put it out, but, but, uh, you know, there actually is quite a bit to talk about. I mean, since the last time I recorded an episode, um, we've had some interesting kind of developments in the, on the front of, you know, the, this country's, uh, soul searching, I, I would hope it's soul searching, you know, all in all a collective soul searching, but I think there are probably plenty of people who aren't soul searching, but, but America's kind of soul searching on, you know, uh, the practices of the police across the nation, especially vis-a-vis African Americans, you know, especially vis-a-vis black people and minorities in general, you, you know, what the experience is there and, uh, you know, n- not just the type of kind of bully tactics, but I mean, really, really the amount of people who are just killed for, you know, sort of no reason for awful reasons, uh, you know, and it's, it's sort of an unbelievable thing. So since the last time I recorded Derek Chauvin, who is the police officer from Minneapolis, who put his knee on, um, you know, on a, on a man's neck who was already, immobilized and tied down face down on the ground, not a threat at all. And he put his knee on George Floyd's neck for over nine minutes and, and killed him. Uh, since the last time I recorded his, his trial and his verdict has come through the sentencing has not yet come through, but the trial and verdict has, and he was found guilty on all accounts, you know? And so that's a, that's definitely a good thing. You know, that that's the right thing, you know, sort of the obvious right thing. It's interesting. Like, uh, you know, I, I try to, I'm, I am a, internally a news junkie. Like I, I feel a need to know what's going on, but I'm not the news junkie that I used to be where I'm kind of plugged into TV all the time, plugged into news sources all the time, following every little detail of who's saying what, when, and, and, and all that stuff. I, I'm just not plugged in like that anymore but i you know i'm a news junkie and that i try to sort of follow it as much as as much as possible and so you know i'm i'm up in terms of like what people are saying about this and and how folks are kind of responding and stuff and you know what i think probably to me the most prevalent kind of you know I, i think the most important and kind of spot on you know opinion about what it is that happen here in, in Derek Chauvin's trial and his and his guilty verdict and all three accounts is that, you know, it was sort of like very obvious and recorded that what he had done was wrong, that there was kind of like no way out of a guilty verdict here, that if there was any way whatsoever out of a guilty verdict here, they they would have found a way, but this is this is basically a public event. I mean, it was recorded from multiple angles. You know, it, it, it was um, obviously unnecessary, unneeded. You know, there was just no defense for it, no argument for it whatsoever. And it's interesting. I, I've heard the perspective of you know, folks have said, well, it's a good thing they they did find him guilty because if they didn't, there would have been rioting on the streets. You know, and on one hand, it's like, okay, well, first of all, maybe look in the mirror and check your racism there for a second because we're, we're making assumptions about 
about people and, and we're categorizing people here as only being able to respond to a situation in a, in a violent way, you know, and that's, that's inappropriate and, and, and uh, obviously not the right perspective even at all, you know, so that's, that's one angle of this. The other angle is that, Hey man, this shit was so obvious. <laughs> like, like it was so obvious, so obviously guilty of all the things that they threw at him. I mean, so, uh, like, like it's just was like not even a single question about it. So yeah, if they fucking found him innocent or not guilty, like the like, of course there would be rioting in the streets, <laughs> like because it would have been proof positive that the system is completely one hundred percent no if ands and buts about it broken because it was so fucking obvious. Do you know what I mean? Like, like why wouldn't we present it even like for one second from that angle? Like, are you like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, like a a jury could find a man innocent with those circumstances and that much evidence against him and that obvious of a case. Like, yeah, there would be rioting in the streets, and there probably should be <laughs> because like. What like what would that have said? You know what I mean? I mean it's like it's ridiculous. And then the other angle of this is like it's like this is what it takes. You know, this is what it takes for a police officer in this country to be held accountable for his actions. Like this is what it takes. It takes a case like this obvious, you know, in order for in order for him to have been found guilty. This obvious, and not just this obvious, but this obvious and publicized. You know, like, I mean, proof positive proof positive of this is in this very case itself. I mean, it, it was a very different initial report that was, fi- that was filed in, you know, the killing of George Floyd that was then had to obviously be changed once all the, oh, I don't know, fucking videos came out in terms of what had actually happened. You see what I mean? Like, like, like the initial attempt here was to cover up immediately what had actually gone on. But because there were camera phones there, they weren't able to get away with it. Right? So, yeah, man. Like, I, I have not, like, made myself an expert on this issue whatsoever, but I have been listening and paying attention and following and you know, and uh, kind of keeping track. And one thing I heard someone say was that I think something like only six police officers have been convicted of uh, killing someone, you know, sort of wrong, wrongfully on while on duty. You know what I mean? Only only six. Like, wouldn't wouldn't that number? Should that number be a little, little bit a little bit bigger? I mean, it should be a little bit bigger. Right, all things being equal, it should be more, <laughs> like a lot more, you know. And, and and back to this whole point of like it it being like so obvious in the case with George Floyd, you know. Case in point, you had on the same day of the verdict the uh, killing of a young African American woman named Makia Bryant in Columbus, Ohio. And in this case, what was happening was she was in a fight and she was going after someone with a knife in the moment that a police officer arrived on the scene. 
And she was sort of like just about to stab someone when the police officer pulled his gun and shot her dead. And so, you know, the way folks are talking about that is sort of looking at that and saying, well, this is a, a more kind of foggy situation because, the, you know, this Mikio Bryant was putting someone under, under threat, you know, just threatening the life of another person. And so this officer, you know, saved that other person's life, you know, with, with his actions. Right. And so what, what are, what are, what are you supposed to sort of say here? It's like a bit, it's like murkier is what, uh, is what a lot of people are saying because of that, you know, you wish she wouldn't have died, but because of what she was doing, it's like, it's just murkier. And that's kind of what I was thinking too. But then I heard this interview, you know, <laughs> this guy made a really good point. He was like, that's the skill. Like people talk about being a police officer is a, is a skilled profession, you know? And so the question is like, well, what's, what's the skill? You know, what are the things that the police officer sort of, you know, police officer sort of brings to the table there. And when you look at a situation like that, it's like, well, well, that's, that's the skill. You know, the skill is just to pull your gun and shoot. You know, the, that's the skill. If, if the goal is to, you know, protect and to serve and to preserve life and to also be able to diffuse situations like that, like, why is that the solution? And the example that, the, that, that this interviewee you know, sort of gave was, you know, he, he said, look, I mean, in schools around the country every year, teachers stop people, students from harming each other in fights in the hallway all the time. You know, they figure out how to break it up, how to get in the way of a situation like that from happening. You know what they never do? They never shoot them dead in order to stop the fight from happening. Right? They don't. And, and you can find outlier examples of kids who bring knives to school and, and, and situations like that. But even then, you know, teachers are kind of figuring out how to diffuse and stop these situations. Right? Without people having to die in order to do that. Now, like... It's not fair that teachers have to do that. It's certainly a problem that teachers have to do that, right? There's a larger commentary about the level of violence in our society in general, you know, that, that puts teachers in this, these positions. Teachers are not trained martial art, art artists per se. <laughs> it's not like a requirement for the job. Do you know what I mean? But but you know what they do? They, they care about the, the, the lives of the people, the students that they're teaching. They you know, they want to preserve that. And minimally, they want them to live. And so, you know, they they jump in the middle. They, they get in the way. They wrestle students down. You know, they, they do what has to be done. And you can develop that skill. You know, you can absolutely develop that skill. It's just that we, you know, we have the wrong people in this profession. Which is not to say that there aren't, you know, good police officers out there, police officers out there who are skilled at their job, police officers out there who are there for the right reasons, all that stuff, you know, all that stuff. But I think they would, they would say that there's a significant challenge in the pool of people that are going into the force. You know, they, they don't have the kind of intelligentsia 
entering the police force that are, you know, sort of, is sort of needed for the level of complication of the job that they're doing. And not just that, but they're being asked to do things that they're not trained for or even equipped as humans for. You know, the significant majority of things that, you know, police are called into are nonviolent situations with people who are mentally ill, which is where, you know, this podcast comes in, right? I mean, they're not trained to handle a person with schizophrenia. They're not trained to handle a person with depression. The last thing I would have needed as a person who was struggling with suicidal thought was the fucking police officer trying to like talk me out of it. Just even the whole presentation of it, you know, like a person there fully armed in uniform, (laughs) like trying to calm my ass down. I mean, this is not happening. And without the sophistication of being able to understand what's going on there, I mean, the with the best intentions, right? The, the only action that a, a person with the training that a typical police officer has, with the mindset that a typical police officer has, the only thing they can do there is wrestle a person like me to the ground and handcuff me. And, and yeah, that's going to save my life in that moment. But what's that going to do for me in the long run? You know, they're not, they're not equipped for it. You know, a, a, a process to defund the police is really, you know, a process to take a look at sort of from a wholesale perspective, how we've organized as a society, right? Really from a wholesale perspective in terms of how we approach the challenges that we face. Right, you see a conflict, bring a person to the picture who whose training and background leaves them no choice but to see a situation, assess danger, and pull a gun and then shoot down the danger. When a different type of person with a different type of training in a different type of environment, like a teacher in a school, would have handled that way differently and Makia Bryant would be alive. So it's interesting, you know, in terms of where we're at. It's Especially interesting because I think what it demonstrates is that, look, I mean, the experience of mental health, which is, you know, boiled down simply to the experience of what it means to have a brain that is out of balance, that isn't quite functioning in the best way that it possibly can, you know that is struggling, right? The experience of having that. Well, there is such a thing as sort of a a group mind, right? The hive mind of society and the culture that we've created. And there's no doubt that the history of human culture is a history of culture that has experienced a type of mental illness in and of itself, you know, Sort of no no doubt about that. I mean, just think about the overall impact of the pandemic and not, not just what it's had on people as individuals, but how that collective impact has impacted overall society. You know, it's it's just it's just how it works. So when you think about 
things like how we police, I think what becomes fairly obvious fairly quick is that, you know, we, we really do, do need an overhaul, not just of the police, but of, you know, everything. And we've needed it for a long time, right? We, we've kind of always needed it. And I, I think of this as a, as a mental health journey. I really do. Because it's like society really is sick. And it needs to go to therapy. <laughs> it needs a pretty serious fucking medical intervention. And it needs to go to therapy. And what's interesting is like the metaphor sort of carries through, right? Because we could do talk therapy and kind of figure it all out that way. Or we could do shock therapy <laughs> and figure it out that way. You know, I'd rather the talk therapy, but I doubt, I doubt it'll happen that way. But it will happen. It will happen. There's no doubt, you know. It's just, it's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. So, so yeah, so those things happened. So I've kind of been following that closely, you know, another political news. It's, it's nice to now be a number of months removed from the Trump presidency, just the stress of it, you know, the constant, you know, what is he going to do next? What is he going to say next? Who is he going to incite next? What's going to happen next? You know, next, just the whole trauma of that whole experience. It's really nice to be out of that. It's still nice to be out of that, you know? So you're of course watching the government, you know, continue to fuck up in every way possible. (laughs) They just like raise the bar and lowering the bar along those lines. So it it is fascinating. And obviously the, the continued ripple effects of the Trump presidency sort of moves onward. So, you know, that in itself is also fascinating. So I'm watching that, but you know, I'm not feeling the same type of urge to watch those things as closely as I did when Trump was president. I mean, that's sort of one of the, the benefits and challenges of, you know, having someone in office who, you know, is somewhat competent and trustworthy, <laughs> things like, oh, I don't know, the bomb, that uh, you can sort of let your guard down and relax a little bit. And you, you, don't, you don't actually really want to do that, you know, <laughs> like as a culture, like you really don't. No, you don't want it. Like you want to keep things because that's how the change never happens. You know, that's like, you know, that that's like the definition of what privilege is, right? For okay, we got the president in place, and so now we can all kind of like put our put our <laughs> signs down and go home and get back to watching Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. Have you all seen, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Now Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Come on, I mean, this is like good shit. Like. <laughs> Oh, wait, there's still problems with the police. Uh, I thought, Joe, 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 come on, man. I thought you were going to take care of this shit for us. You know how much television I have to get caught up on? <laughs> I think that's I think that's kind of, it's natural for that to happen. And, and it, it happens to everyone. But, you know, like, there are lots of people who can't put the color of their skin down. There are people who can't put, you know, that not having any type of white privilege down. They can't, they can't put that down. And uh, as much as we white people can put the signs down and, and go back to watching TV, you know, 
our fellow citizens who are not white can't can't do that. You know, they they still feel the pressure, and it's still very much there, and and it's still the question of what's going to happen next. How's it going to go down? You know, how are we not how are we not going to have our needs met this time? Right? It, it's a never ending story, and that's a problem. You can't have a never ending story because at some point. There comes to be a generation that's that finally says, "All right, we've we've had enough. We've had enough." There is nobody alive who doesn't remember a time where it was bad for us, and it's been like that for a while. So we've had enough now, you know. So yeah, uh, that's uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this develops over the next couple of months and over the next couple of years. You've got the follow up trials of the other police officers who were there and, and compliant and complacent in Derek Chauvin's actions. And though they had the power to stop what was going on, they chose not to. So, you know, you've got their trials coming up. You've got Derek Chauvin's uh, actual, you know, sentencing coming up. That hasn't happened yet as of this recording. And most people I've kind of heard have said that they think that they're basically going to throw the book at him like he's the sacrificial lamb. So he's going to get the book thrown at him. So we'll see. But, you know, seems like most people think that's how it's going to go. And, yeah, then you got these follow-up trials coming up and, you know, other things. And so, you know, we'll we'll kind of see what's uh, what's going on there, I guess. But you know, I, the main thing that I've kind of been thinking about now <clears throat> related to all this stuff is, you know, while, while socially, when it comes to social issues, when it comes to you know, fighting the good fight, you don't want to take your foot off the gas, especially when you have momentum. You know, you really want to keep things moving as much as possible. And, you know, it's important to not get complacent in those in those areas. But personally, you know, when when you when you are working so hard on yourself, you know, with therapy and whatever inner work and internal work you're doing, and you know, you've made good progress. When is there a time when it's okay to kind of take a step back and take a break? Is it like, is it okay to do that? Do you think, you know, like, is, is that a thing that, that ought to be done in something like therapy? I mean, let's say you've been working really hard on a number of different things, a number of different areas. <clears throat> dealing with sort of like an inordinate amount of stress and challenges along those lines. And, and you, you know, you do all the things you can do to, to make things work. And then you finally get to a place where a thing starts to work and then, you know, and there you are and and you've got all this momentum, but you're just like fucking exhausted. You know, it's just like, I've done so much. There comes a time when you, when you do have to take a, a break, you have to take a step back. It's okay, not just that, but it's also necessary. Like, if you don't ever give yourself a moment to celebrate the successes that you've had, you know, then I think you're doing yourself like a a serious disservice. And I'm talking to myself here. You know, I'm like using the you (laughs) pronoun. But I'm 100% talking to myself here because it's not something that I'm like really all that good at. And I just, there came a moment last week where I was just like tired. You know, it's just like there, you know, 
basically in every aspect of of my life, I, I have been, you know, dealing with something stressful and working through it, you know. And finally, kind of come to a place where I could take a deep breath and say, okay, all the right pieces are in all the right places. And we can take a deep breath now and know that everything is going to be okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we've got everything in place so that everything is going to be okay. You know, I've done the internal work. I've, you know, done this and that. Do you know what I mean? And now it's like everything is just, I just know like, okay, okay. I can take a deep breath now. And what an amazing moment to be able to get there, especially when you look back and you think of other moments where it's just like, you know, you're, you're like completely inundated with huge amounts of stress about, you know, what it is that you're going through. You're, you're like in the thick of it you know, up to your neck in the fucking mire, right? Like just swamping it out. (laughs) And it's a fucking slug. How many different ways can I say it's a wet mess? You know, (laughs) just a hot, wet mess. Oh God. So yeah, man, like, like you're, you're in that space and, and you just, you have to keep working because you're sinking and, the mud is getting higher and higher and you just have to keep crawling and crawling and crawling and crawling. And when you finally are able to get out of it, and even if it means looking back and seeing the 10 feet that you've come, let me try that again. When I've had those moments where I've been in the mire, like up to my neck in the mud, right? And like, I've, you know, really struggled to, to like, you know, to make it through, right? And then I finally make it through and I and I get my hands on some dry land that's just like a little bit fucking steadier than what was before. And I like crawl out and I look back and I realize I've come just like 10 feet, but it was the hardest 10 feet ever. You know, yeah. Like if I look deep inside maybe even closer to the surface if I allow it to be there, I am, I am really proud of myself. And the thing is, I haven't just come 10 feet through the mire. You know, I've been in therapy for almost six years now, maybe even over six years. And I haven't like shied away from anything, you know, deepest, darkest secrets are out right? Most challenging moments are out, right? Like I've, I've like faced it all. I haven't like exercised it all, but I've faced it all, you know, like fought my way through intense suicidal thoughts, fought my way through self-harm expressions, learned the techniques, did the work, was medicated for over two years, you know, did all that stuff. And one of the hardest things to do is to look back and recognize how amazing it is that I've come this far. You know, like facing the things are, is hard enough, 
but in a fascinating way, just as hard, if not harder, is facing your own successes and being proud. Like how interesting that that's kind of a part of it, you know? And yeah, I've come a long way and I'm really proud of myself. And I, and last week in therapy, it's one of those things where it's like, oh boy, you know, a lot of work the past number of weeks, a lot of uh, internal dialogue, a lot of movement, a lot of stuff. I, I, I know some of the things I need to do next is part of the same process. Like the, the struggle never ends, right? I know what needs to come next, but just kind of looked at it all and was like, I need a few days off. Can we just take a few days off from personal growth? <laughs> Can we like take a breather? A little timeout, a little personal growth timeout, which isn't like really a personal growth timeout. I mean, it doesn't like actually ever stop, but just like maybe let's do like half a session of therapy and let me just like find something to do over the weekend that's going to take my mind off of everything as much as possible. You know what I mean? And, and that's like what I did. And it was uh, fucking great. You know, <laughs> it's pretty great. Of course, I have therapy tomorrow. I'm recording an episode tonight, you know, so it's like back at it. But like just having that moment of like, okay, yep, <clears throat> and we can uh, take a breath. We did quite a bit. Um, let's just <laughs> take a time out for a minute. Let's slow down. Take a breather. And uh, then then be willing to jump back in. And I think, you know, doing that, there's no shame in doing that. You know, and, and not only is there no shame in doing that, but there's probably a lot of wisdom in doing that too, as much as possible. You know, being able to just, as much as you can, just take a breath and go, I've done quite a bit. It's pretty amazing how much I've done. Let's name it. Five days, five days. I'm just not going to like spend too much time thinking about anything. And then on Thursday, we'll get back to it. <laughs> uh, what, a, what, a, what a good skill to be able to have. So I've kind of been able to do it, you know, for the most part. Um, it's just been nice to not kind of have that pressure of just like, I need to know what I'm doing next. I need to, da, 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 you know. Uh, it's nice. To, it was nice to not have that pressure and to like recognize I didn't have to feel it in that moment. And then, you know, take a breather, have a really nice weekend and then come back and sort of ready to, ready to go, you know, and that's kind of what I did. So, uh, you know, fuck y'all. <laughs> uh, anyway. So yeah, that's episode 33. Uh, <laughs> fuck y'all. That's episode thirty-three. Good times. I hope uh, I hope everyone's doing well. I hope uh, everyone's holding up. Oh, I did get oh I did get my first my first shot. That was the other thing that happened since the last time we recorded. I got my first vaccine shot. I went Pfizer because Schizer rhymes with Pfizer, and I think it's funny to be like Pfizer Schizer. But uh, no, I just <laughs> I went with Pfizer. It was weird. The whole place was like fucking empty. I was like, man, is everybody that thought we were all getting vaccinated? Why isn't anybody else here? But uh, yeah, so we went through pretty quickly. Definitely was painful. Like it didn't hurt in the moment, but my arm was like, yeah, that wasn't fun. So I'm expecting the second one to be even more 
intense. So we'll see uh, what happens along those lines. But uh, got a couple of weeks left until I until I get that almost done with my dental odyssey. I have to go to the dentist next week because I'm getting a night guard that I have to start wearing, which is freaking ridiculous. I like tried it on last week at some point and has to be adjusted, which is why I don't have it just yet. But it's really ridiculous. <laughs> it's like so very, very ridiculous. So uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's next. And I just have one more side with a, like a cavity and a half or something like that that needs to get filled in. So not too painful, but almost done there. And so that'll be, uh, that'll be good. But, uh, but yeah, so that's what's going on with me. Hope, hope everyone is doing all right. Hope you're, you know, lined up to get vaccinated, not vaccinated already and, uh, getting ready to move back to, you know, the new normal life, which is, uh, trying to recreate what was, <laughs> I guess, only maybe better. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> We'll see how that goes. Anyway, until next time, uh, yeah, please like, subscribe, share with your friends. And if you want to take part in the conversation, as always, you can find me at josh at